Dior Talks. I really want to celebrate the creativity of the women, but all the creativity. It's another way to give voice to the artists that I like. Only in this way you can move in the future and then you have a conversation with a new generation of uh, women. I'm so delighted to say that this episode of Dior Talks interviews one of the most important feminist art curators in the world, Paola Ugolini. Based in Rome and a close friend of Maria Grazia Curie, Paola is an independent curator and art critic who has curated exhibitions internationally focusing on women artists and the role of video art and body language in performance and feminist art. Continuing Maria Grazia's passion for female artists in this series, today's conversation will help shed light on this specific tradition of feminist art and theory, which has been central to her own work as well as discussing the ongoing dialogue around feminist art that both Maria Grazia and Paola have shared for years. I am so excited to say that Paola will be curating the exhibition I Say I, sponsored by Dior, at the Galleria Nazionale d'Arte Moderna e Contemporanea in Rome this October. Paola has also curated a number of exhibitions at the Venice Biennale, the Maxim Museum in Rome, and London's leading feminist art gallery, Richard Saltoun Gallery, and many more. While this interview will allow you, the listeners, to learn more about key inspirations for Maria Grazia Curie, who has collaborated with numerous female artists whilst being at the helm of Dior, it will also give an insight into Maria Grazia's discussions with Paola. We will also touch upon broader topics pertaining to contemporary art and how feminist art could resonate with the concept of fashion conceived as a form of artistic practice. My name is Katie Hessel. I am an art historian and curator from London and run the Great Women Artists Instagram account. And I am so excited to say that we are recording with Paola just one day before the Dior Women's Wear Winter 20 show at the Palais de Tokyo, just five minutes walk from Dior HQ, Welcome, Paola Ugolini. How are you doing today? Hi, Katie. Thank you very much. I'm so confused because you said I am one of the most important curators <laughs> in the world. Maybe that's too much, but I'm really happy about absolutely that. Absolutely not. You are absolutely <laughs> pioneering. I mean, as I said, you are one of the leading curators in the world. Yeah. That, in feminist art. Yeah, in yeah. Feminist in art. feminist art, I have to say yes, because <laughs> the topic wasn't really accepted very much. And still today, the word feminism, it's not accepted very much indeed. So in the last show I curated in London, yes. the Richard Saltoun Gallery, I wanted the title, the word feminism, feminist, to be in the title of the show that was uh, Feminism in Contemporary Italian Art because this word disturbed a lot, yeah. disturbed women and disturbed men. And I wanted to point out and to underline how it's not fair for people to be offended mm. by this word because feminism is one of the most important philosophical uh, and uh, um, revolutionary movement yes. of the 20th century and was born 
in in 18th century here in France. Really? Really. So interesting, but also to think that you curated that exhibition just a few months ago in 2019 and people still weren't accepting the fact that it had feminism in the title? Yes, because there are 50% of people that read the title and say, oh, feminism, why we need feminism today? We don't need any feminism. Women have obtained everything, which is, of course, not true. <laughs> because, you know, feminism is just the, the, the idea about equality yes. that can be, it's not just equality regarding rights today, although we can vote, we can wear trousers, we can have a bank account, we can do many things, but still there is a big gap. Yes. There is a big cultural and uh, sexist gap yes. with women. I think it's interesting. I think, you know, so much of society, we need to adapt to men and adapt to their patriarchal society, which is the way the world has been built as well. I don't know if you've read the fantastic book by Caroline Corrido Perez called Invisible Women, but she talks about how, you know, seatbelts aren't designed for women, how astronaut suits aren't designed for women. You know, there are still so many barriers for women, the sort of physicality of women to get through as well. But sort of to go back to art, because as I mentioned, you are the leading curator in feminist art. Why then, as an art historian and curator, did you want to focus on this particular subject? I wanted to focus on this particular subject because I thought and I think that what I want to do is to be an activist. Yes. Because, uh, I mean, I, I was... I, I was I mean, protesting when I was 14 mm. in the 70s, you know, in Rome. in Rome with all the feminist group. But at a certain point of my career, I understood that art can be a way to be very politic, like yes. Maria Grazia is doing with fashion. Mm. I do what Maria Grazia is doing with fashion, I do with art. Mm. So I wanted that my shows and the artists with whom I work I want to give a message, a message especially for young girl and young men too, because patriarchal society is a trap, not only for women, but also for men. Yes. Because it's terrible if you think that a man has to be strong, can't cry, can't show, you know, feelings. This yes. is all completely wrong. And all equals at the end of we, the are, we are human beings with, you know, something good, something bad. Mm. But in the end, we are all the same, just different sex. But this is nothing to do with our feelings, with our soul. And this is why I, I, I wanted badly to concentrate on this topic. And uh, when I was younger, in the 80s, actually I wrote and I worked a lot on performance and body art because performance and body art were the most important tools for female artists at the time with which they could express themselves in a different way. Yes. Because if you think sculpture and paintings were used by men yes. since ever. And so women had to find a different and new way yeah. to express themselves. And photography, video, embroidery, and, yes. and performance and body art were absolutely the best tool with which tell 
different stories and also with which to talk about their condition yeah. of oppressed. Mm. Also in art, because art history was told also to us yes. in just one way. Instead, there are many ways to tell art history. And with my show, I want to deconstruct an history that it's has been stayed still for too long. Yes. So now is the time, and many others did it before me, uh, to tell stories in a different way. Yes, I think it's so interesting what you're saying about the body and performance and this idea of video and photography, these new mediums, this new landscape. It's actually creating this whole new genre of art as well. It's a new language that women can really forge, but also what's so interesting about that if we think of someone like Ana Maria Maiolino who oh was working God. in Brazil at the yes. time of the revolution as well you know she's using her body because also she doesn't have anything else and that speaks to the history of society because actually the fact that women haven't been given as much opportunity but therefore as much money and therefore money to create their art they have to use what, what they, they have. have yes <laughs> what they have exactly in fact for example an artist that I like very much an American photographer Francesca Woodman who yes. I can't say that she was an activist and feminist, no, because she worked a lot, you know, taking taking inspiration by the surrealist world. Yes. But, of course, she did a very important work about the self, the representation of the self, the auto-representation. And one day in an interview, someone asked her, why you always um, photograph yourself? And she said, because I'm always with me. It's yeah. very easy. Here I am, it's me. I have the camera, uh, I use myself because I am always with me and I don't need to call anyone. So it was very easy but very precise regarding what you are saying. And yes, the body is a... Women's body is a battlefield. Yes, this as is, Barbara Kruger said. As Barbara Kruger said, it's a battlefield and it's a battlefield uh, between church and state. Yes. So you can have an abortion, you can't have an abortion. You can do this, you can't do that. You have women's to, body is a commodity in a way. It's yes. a commodity. Mm. You, you have to be very thin or or you have to be curvy, or you have to be the way everybody wants you to look, and no one cares about really what you, as yes. a woman, as a they person... They don't care about the mind, they care about the body. They care only about the body. This is why the body was and still is so important. Yes. I still work with young artists that use their body in order to give messages and uh, signals. Mm. You know, so yes, the body is a super powerful uh, tool. And if you imagine in, in Italy, in the, in, um, when Mussolini was in charge yeah. during the 20s, 30s, and thank God, half of the 40s, <laughs> an artist called Carol Rama, who yes. was living in Torino in a bourgeois family. She was a lady of the bourgeois in a bourgeois family. She started to auto-represent herself with the aquarelle, naked and with a very, uh, how do you say, erotic and desire body. Of course, in the, this is what always have astonished me. In the moment of the worst patriarchal society that we ever had, she did something so revolutionary to auto-represent herself as a sexual person. Yes. And this was the 40s, this was, you know, 30 years 30s. before the 70s. In fact, she was considered mad. She was considered mad and she was, and she couldn't uh, exhibit her work, never, until 28, 20 years ago, more yes. or less. 
Yes. Yeah. Let's say they're also that. But also she, you know, it's it's funny, you know, uh, sometimes people say, oh, you know, we can't even believe that this work is by a woman. Oh, yeah. Still, still now. <laughs> okay, still now. Yeah. Mm. Still now, it's uh, people are questioning on who is the writer who wrote L'Amica Geniale, The Genial Friend. It's a very, very famous romance in Italy, L'Amica Geniale. And uh, of course, we don't know if it's a man or a woman that, yes. is, that is, who is the author, is unknown. Yes. And still people are questioning, mm, this can be a man's idea. Oh no, this can be, which is ridiculous because, mm. I mean, art has no sex, literature has no sex. Yes. That, of course, women were obliged to do feminine things. Yes. They were obliged, but we don't have to forget that if I ask to you what is femininity, you can't answer to me because femininity probably doesn't exist. It's just a cultural construction. It's just a It's cultural... humanity, isn't it? Yeah, yes. it's humanity. It's the way that also women have been kind of categorized or placed in these societies, which is kind of coming back to the idea of embroidery. Yeah. And how you know embroidery is this woman's work, and actually now all these all these artists have used textiles. Actually, the the leading ones are all the women now. <laughs> yeah, and textile textile art is super interesting, also because it's a cultural deconstruction of something that was used as a way to keep women occupied at home. Yes, uh, I mean they, they they could have spent. My grandmother used to tell me that. Her grandmother, she has nothing to do all day because she was a rich lady. And what they did in order to, you know, to, to, to keep the mind in a way occupied was to do embroidery. Embroidery was, embroidery was um, a kind of slavery. But it's uh, fantastic now to see how many women artists, and not only women, use textile and embroidery to free themselves and to do political works. Yes, and I actually think that, you know, all that comes down to so many feminist works. So, for example... You you know, playing with this, playing with this idea in the home, this domesticity, and actually what women do all day, and the fact that one of my favourite artists ever is Hannah Wilkie, who you know her SOS series, which sees her, you know, it's all these portraits of herself, and she has all this chewing gum stuck on her um, body and on her face, and you know why she got that? Well, because men chew women up and spit them out. Absolutely. And then, but she's also in these kind of idealized domestic poses. She's almost kind of playing with this idea that, you know, the idealized woman, the idealized housewife with the curlers and the hair and everything. And But there are uh, women artists that did absolutely, in my opinion, one of the best job ever. And uh, Helen Chadwick, English, yes. who has, um, has a work for her graduation in the School of Art in London, she portrayed herself, transvestite, as a domestic uh, tool, like as a washing machine, as a sink. Yes. Uh, oh my God. And she's always herself naked and she built around herself all the domestic tools that, use in the, that the woman used in the kitchen. So she was the representation of the domesticity in the way that the patriarchal society think a woman should be. Yes. And then there is also another American artist, which I love, which is Martha Rosler, yes. that with her cutout completely um, destroyed the patriarchal idea about <laughs> feminine mystique, yes. because the feminine mystique was all there in the 50s. Mm. You know, curly hair, as you said, you know, a pearl necklace and a very happy face because you are surrounded by all these electronic 
electronic tools, very new at the time, you know, like the vacuum. Yes. And they were all so happy in high heels, vacuuming the floor <laughs> with four, five kids. And Marta Rosa in her cutouts completely destroyed this idea. And this was something absolutely, in my opinion, so intelligent. Yes. And in Italy, we had Cretti La Rocca, who did the same with advertising, the kind of advertising that always presented women as happy very happy housewife and it wasn't true. But what I'm really interested um, to know as well, I mean, you touched on it earlier, was actually this reaction and how, yes, today, you know, women still aren't saying they're feminists, which is very absurd. But also, actually, what was the reaction to this work at the time? Was it accepted by both men and women? Because obviously someone like Carolee Schneeman or Hannah Wilkie, they've only really really been accepted in the last few years and there Carol Schneeman did also worse worse better because Carol Schneeman in her performance The Vagina Scrawl really she shocked the public she shocked the public because it wasn't I mean but I have to say that there were much more freedom at the time than today because I'm sure that today to perform the vagina scroll, it would be almost impossible because, in my opinion, the society has become much more Puritan. In the 70s, people were much more free. But even the fact that, you know, we see Carolee Schneeman at MoMA PS1, but yet when she was working 30 years ago, she never even had a solo show. This is this is normal. This is this is this is unfortunately this is normality because when she did what she did. 30 years ago, where she was part of the Fluxus group, and um, it was avant-garde, pure avant-garde. And as you well know, avant-garde is understood by mainstream mm. always much later, always much later. Yeah, I went to see the Caroline Schneeman show at the PS1. <laughs> it was absolutely great. Mm. And uh, But yeah, many women artists that did a lot in the past are accepted by the mainstream, because this is the mainstream, the PS1, the Biennale di Venezia, this is yes. the mainstream, are accepted now after, after yeah, more or less 30 years. So yeah. you curate exhibitions. I mean, your, your show in 2015, The Body is Language, Women in Performance at Richard Saltoon, that included artists who were working in the 70s, yes. but also now. Yes, and, yes, and, yes. And I'm really intrigued about that because, you know, what was the feminist movement of the 70s and what was it now and how was it to curate an exhibition of all these works? Well, I tell you the truth. I had this idea of having a parallel between the 70s and now since many years. But each time I was proposing this show to Italian museums or Italian galleries, they always look at me like, oh my God, by God, no, we are not interesting. <laughs> and then, by chance, I met Richard Saltoon during a, 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 an international fair in Torino, Artissima. Yes. And uh, as he was seated next to me, we start talking. And at a certain point, he, was, he asked me, what's your next project? And I said, well, I have a next project <laughs> that I'm not able to do anywhere because nobody wants. And he said, tell me what is. And I said... And I told him what I wanted to do. And he was like, okay, do it in my gallery. And I was like, sure. Because I thought he was teasing me. Yes. I was like, really? He said, yes. And this is how uh, I curate um, the show about women and performances. And then this show evolved in, in 2012. 
17 and become body to body, yes. corpo a corpo, in Galleria Nazionale Arte Moderna, where I met Maria Grazia Curie, who came through common friends to see the show. And what interests me for the Galleria Nazionale Arte, because when I did the show in Richard Saltoons, I had also, I mean, it was, this was the base. Then I wanted to concentrate on the women artists who performed in Italy in the 70s. And what is left? All the things that really I wanted to point out is what is left? What is left today? What is the legacy that all these great, incredible, revolutionary artists had left to the new generation that were born after uh, mid 70 So we are walking in the Palais de Tokyo today and this is a museum that was conceived in 2002 which has completely transformed the way that we even look at art and the kind of experimental nature about it. It's interesting in the kind of past 20 years we've seen all these museums you know like the Tate Modern Turbine Hall that are really allowing for you know expression to be added to the kind of most grand scale. You know as a curator yourself how do you look at these spaces? How do you um what, what is the role of a curator today, in a way? The role of a curator today is, uh, first of all, to have concepts. Yeah. So to have contents, con- contents, intellectual contents to offer to the public. But then, but not, not only, the role is to put in dialogue the artist's work with the space, yeah. which is always difficult because, as you can see, spaces are... Massive. <laughs> the idea of, you know, the small, the small gallery, the small domestic space, uh, like in the 50s, then completely changed after 1968 with massive space, with, um, with industrial space, and uh, which is good because, of course, the artists have the freedom to express themselves at their best. And also for a curator is a challenge. I would love to curate a show here. Yes, oh and my gosh, Incredible. Oh my God! So amazing performance as well. Performance because yeah, because the, with contemporary art, well, the object is always important. But what it is more important than it's all the process that bring from the idea to the object and performance and is what is that is yeah. all the process that in the end is concretized sometimes in an object, sometimes no, and it's not important. For example, we are working with all this textile installation, which is absolutely great because the spice becomes fluid yes. and can be modulated uh, according to the artist idea. Of course, as a curator, I like to give the artist the greater freedom. Mm. Uh, for example, now I'm working also on another show that I hope to and I'm working with Marinella Senatore and she works with communities. Her, her activist is through the work with communities, mm. with a lot of people, yes. with di- the, 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 the most diverse uh, people that you can imagine, from ballerinas to cramp dancers to, I don't know, composers, to both professional and amateur. And so we are building this incredible big show which is objective. I mean, you have installation, yeah. but the core of the show is the performance. Yes. The performance, which is something that happened once and then 
basta. But I'm always so intrigued by performance art. I mean, how do you then curate a performance in the space? Do you? No, it's very easy to curate a performance in the space, uh, believe me, because uh, you can fill the space with the body yes. or you can either work on the opposite to leave the, the space void and have just the body as a sign, you know, yeah. as a like a comma, you know, in, mm-hmm. a, in a right. But what is more difficult is how to sell a performance, yes. believe me. <laughs> That's more difficult. <laughs> to conceive a performance in the space is just a fantastic adventure. Mm. For example, in a space like this, you can imagine uh, hundreds of people or just, you know, the complete void with one body, body that moves in the void, which is also very interesting. I know, I think it's so exciting being in a space like this because already, you know, we have these textiles that are swarming throughout this really kind of industrial-like space. And to see a performance in this kind of space come I saw I saw a great performance <gasps> oh, here. Man. I remember the Tino Seagal show here. It was absolutely amazing, overwhelming. Probably one of the best show I saw here in the Palais de Tokyo. And it was only about performance. Mm. It was incredible. It was really an experience. And it's then you get so all good. the audience involved as well, yeah. and you just feel part of it. You feel part yeah. of it, yeah, 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 yeah. And actually, performance has this incredible tendency to resonate, actually, in a way more with than just the kind of art object. Because absolutely, you really feel absolutely. It because it, you you look at the performance in the moment in which he or she moves and acts, yeah. and so you feel a much more intimate connection mm. with the artist and with his, he, his or her ideas. And um, yeah, also, for example, this year, the, key, the, the golden lion in Venezia for the best pavilion was worn <gasps> the Lithuanian, by Lithuanian. Yeah, the Lithuanian pavilion, who was absolutely magnificent yes. with that incredible performance, so poetic, yeah. so... Yeah. That you you could have stayed there hours just listening to the music, to the words of the poetry and looking at these people. But then I think what's really interesting is this idea of performance and actually coming back to Maria Grazia and Dior and this, you know, building these sets for these fashion shows and actually that almost being like a performance in itself. What do you feel about fashion shows being this sort of fashion show? But a fashion yeah. show is a performance, yeah. is a performance we, where the creator, the, the, the fashion director put in on a stage his or her idea mm. about, yeah, about fashion, about looks, but it's a performance. It's a performance where you see all these models walking in a certain way, dressed in a certain way, with certain makeup, certain haircut. I mean, it's all, I mean, it's not something that happened like this. Yeah. It's a great study on the back of that. So yes, it is. A huge production. It's a huge production. And um, I don't think that art and fashion are the same thing, but I think that they can dialogue and they can dialogue very well indeed. So Maria Grazia obviously references Carla Lonzi, uh, Maranella Sanatore, you know, all these, Caracardi, Carama, all these amazing Italian artists. But what makes Italian feminism unique? What makes Italian feminism unique to the rest of the world? You know, I know American feminism, I know British feminism, but what is it about Italian feminism? Maybe, you know what, because it's less known. So there's so much to discover, there's so much to learn, understand, and it's... It's so important to give all these female artists a visibility, a visibility, a 
a stage where to express themselves. Of course, in America, the, the art system is very strong. It's very strong. And American artists has, are very much supported. Also in France, in Italy, we don't have a system. We just have single personalities that are very interesting. Yeah. And it's important that Maria Grazia stays in a way that use her roots. Because when Maria Grazia designed clothes, of course she has to refer to the Dior archive yeah. and to be in the Dior sensibility and aesthetic. But she comes from Roma. She's Italian. Yes. So she can't help in putting something... It's in the blood. It's in the blood to put something that is a reference to her childhood, to the way she learned how to be a fashion stylist, a yeah. fashion designer. And I think that at the moment... The process is working very well. But I'm really interested to know, kind of in the 70s, what was happening in Italy that maybe even sparked this revolutionary moment in Rome? In, in Rome, in the 70s, was fantastic. Uh, there were riots every day. It was, really, <laughs> it, was really, it was really difficult to live there. I was a, a very young girl. It, it was 1978. I was almost 14, the first time I went in a, in a manifestation with my hands raised up up to my head yes. with this symbol of the triangle of the vagina that appears and then disappears very quickly. But that, that, that at the moment was so political, so powerful, so mean. We were mean girls. Yes. It was beautiful. <laughs> I mean, life was completely political. Uh, if I think about the adolescence of my two, um, two daughters, uh, I mean, politics never touched them. Yeah. Never, never for a second. Instead, for us, it was, life was politics. Yeah. In every single aspect. The book you were reading, the movie you were looking at, the way you dressed. Oh, my God. Mm. They could tell you if you were left or right according to the kind of dress you were wearing. And I, I, for me, it's, uh, I like to see the way the high fashion is speaking from that period a yeah. lot, uh, lot of inspirational things mm -hmm. like, you know, this kind of dresses, the parkas, the boots, the military boots, yes. the, the sabots, uh, the sandals, uh, the big jumpers. Uh, I mean, the, those are all things that we were buying in the second-hand market. Maria Grazia too. She yeah. was buying stuff and her clothes in the second-hand market. In Rome, we had the big one with all the American stuff coming from the USA and for us it was the best. Also the jeans, we never bought a pair of new jeans. They were yeah. all second hand. Well, it was a very creative moment. But I think that's so interesting to hear that, you know, life was so encompassed with, all encompassed with politics. Absolutely. And that makes so much sense for what Maria Grazia is doing in a way because she's creating these kind of revolutionary activistic stage sets. Absolutely. This is why I'm so happy uh, in a way to help a little bit, yes. talking and talking and talking with ideas and artists and, uh, uh, you know, all these kind of things. And because I feel that that's the right thing to do at the moment. Yes. You can't just be, you know, the fashion word just as a word where you tell people what they have to wear. Yes. Come on, it's much more than that. As a global brand, they yeah. need to tell people how they need to think in 2020 and what that means yeah. as well. So let's yes. say that she's very political and she's doing that with a lot of grace, I have to say. 
As this is a Dior podcast, we always ask our guests, who is your feminist hero? Allora, I have many, to tell you the truth, <laughs> or none. It's difficult, but I find Carla Lonzi very, very much inspirational. She is one of my leading light. Also, when I write, when I have to think, she always helps me. But, of course, she's not the only one. Virginia Woolf is another one. Because when she wrote A Room of, of One's Own, she, she wrote a very feminist statement, a very strong feminist statement. And uh, then I have other artists that I, I met Nikita Sanfal was one of them. <laughs> yes. I mean, she was so free. She was so strong. She, she had lived her life in such a free and anti-conventional way. And also her sculptures are so different. Yes. They speak about uh, an idea of femininity. They're a universal uh, woman. Yeah, like, you know, la grand-mère from the, uh, you know, prehistorical cultures, but in a very pop way, which I like because it's irreverent. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Paola. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.